I still have you. Who are you? Who are you? Have you thought about that one recently? I bet you thought about it more than you actually know, but you haven't probably done it like conceptually. Who are you? Every day, every week, probably every moment, you're somehow making a decision that reflects already who you are or reflects who you're wanting to become. Sometimes maybe even who you're not wanting to become. So who are you? What I want you to do, I'm gonna ask you to do the heavy lifting today. There's a card at your feet with a pen and we're gonna try on a practice. What I want you to do in two minutes is I want you to write as many descriptors or definitions of yourself as you can come up with. So if someone was to ask, who are you? And you're like, well, I'm a guy. Cool, write down guy. If someone was to ask, who are you? Well, I work for this company. Great, write down that title. If someone was to ask, who, you are, who are you? Like, well, I'm the one that like, can lighten a room with a joke. Cool, write down the funny person. Like, just write as many things as you can that you can think of, who are you? It might be things that you've come up with yourself. It might be things that others have told about you. You might be a sibling. You might be a parent. You might be a child. Just write as many as you can down. Don't think about it too hard. Just write them all down. Good, however many you have, we'll work with, which is probably more than you thought coming in today. You didn't realize you were all these things. What I wanna do is we're gonna kick off Advent today. And for those of you familiar with it, this is a, a historic church tradition where leading up to Christmas, we actually take four weeks of looking at hope, love, joy, and peace that will lead up to our candle, candlelight service on Thursday the 22nd this year, okay? And what it is, is it's a chance to actually prepare for the beginning of the calendar 
for the Christian year, where we look at the birth of Jesus. And just like maybe this last week, like us, you set up your living room and like you rearranged furniture for the Christmas tree and whether you pulled it out of a box or drove and got it, like you, you prepared. As you start to think through Christmas, you're preparing your, what family are you with and how are you getting there and you're going through maybe the list of presents you need to get, you're, you're starting to prepare for something that's to happen. And if we're not mindful or thoughtful, we can rush through the Christmas year and again, maybe get caught in the consumption of things without actually slowing down to prepare for the birth of Jesus and to make room for him in our life in, in old ways, in new ways, in renewed ways. And so each week, as Hannah uh, already did, she lit the candle, and then we're just going to break down each of these words by looking at someone that was a part of the birth narrative of Jesus. And so today, as we look at hope, we're going to look at a small glimpse of the life of John the Baptist. Now, you're not going to find John the Baptist necessarily in the nativity scene when you set that up, but he is intricately connected to the birth story and the life of Jesus, his cousin. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, uh, born his family about the same time. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit entered in, and, and he jumped in his mom's belly. And, and then there's this, really leading up to this point, there was about 400 years where what's called the Old Testament kind of finished off, and then nothing really happened. It was just quiet for about 400 years. And you had a lot of people kind of still just trying to obey all these laws and and waiting for the, the prophesied or hoped for Messiah to come. And they're waiting and they're waiting. And then this guy comes along, John the Baptist. And he's wearing clothes made out of camel hair, which you can imagine how irritating your skin would be. Like he's out there and he's growing his beard and he's living in the wilderness and he's living on bugs and he probably smells horrible. And I mean, you, just, you go through the list. This guy comes on the scene and he starts to proclaim that Jesus is coming. And it, what I want to do with him is I want to think about our list of who we are. So we'll come back to John the Baptist in a second, but if you think about your list right now and the things that you are, I want to ask you also, where does your hope lie? Today, this week, the last few months, this last couple of years, like where, where does your hope lie? And as you think about all the things that you are, I know for me, oftentimes, like, I can be very hopeful in who I am, what I'm doing, how things are going. Like, I'm really hopeful in this next year for Midtown because of this and this and this. And I'm hopeful for our family because of this and this and this. I'm hopeful for, like, my own self-growth because this and this and this. But then at some point along the way, things change. Things don't go as planned. Things fall apart. I'm thankful for Hannah's vulnerability, just naming where she's at with her family this morning. Like, what... What, what do we have hope in? And is hope something that's just ever-changing? And maybe, maybe hope is just a thing I have when things are going well, and things are going the way I want it to, and I kind of like all the things happening. But could hope be something bigger than that? And in, in a world where, in right now, where it's a lot of self, self-actualization, so all the things you wrote on your card, some of them are like, just the things that kind of happen, and other things are the things that kind of press upon you. And you're trying to figure out every day, who am I as a man or a woman, as a parent, as a child, as a spouse? You're working through, who am I as an employer or an employee? Who am I as a friend? Who am I as the person with this gift mix or this personality or 
or these abilities. And we're working through it day in and day out with all the decisions that we make. And then what happens when the things that we are fall apart? When the things that we are aren't actually satisfying the way that we thought they would be? When, when the things that we're hoping to become aren't actually happening or going the way we are, do we lose hope? Do we lose hope when those things happen? I do. I know for a fact I do. The ups and downs of, of life that we have, I could be a hopeful person one day that is excited about the future and the things that are to come, standing on what I would say, the promises of Jesus, and then other days I can just be a grump thinking that everything is the worst and there's not much to live for. You hear a lot of, maybe you'd hear, I don't know, I talk to a lot of people who are in their 20s, late 20s, maybe early 30s, and they might be considering this kid thing, but oftentimes they say, why would I bring a child into this world? You guys ever hear that one? Why would I bring a kid into this world? And I, I get what they're saying. It's also a statement without hope. It's saying that things are so bad, why would I actually like put this upon somebody else? So how do we actually navigate life where right now you have so many things around you trying to identify you, people are trying to tell you what to do, how to behave, who to become, how to identify yourself, like you're working through this and you're like friends in a relationship with other people that are doing the same thing. How do you have hope when all those things are not coming to? So as we think about that, where you're at, who we are, I just wanna look at John the Baptist. And he comes on the scene and it says this in John 1, starting in 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. He continues. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So you have these Jewish leaders who are coming up to John the Baptist. He's causing a ruckus. He's coming out of the wilderness. He's like baptizing people. He's telling them to repent. He's pushing against the religious norms of the time. He is interrupting and creating chaos. And they're coming to him demanding that he tells them who he is. Who are you? And now he's put in a position where he has to define who he is. And he has to decide, do I define myself as who I actually am and who God has called me to be and the, the thing that is on my life for me to set out to do, or do I need to say the things to please the leaders? Do I have to say the things to please the norms? Do I have to conform to the culture around me? And he could go one of two ways very easily. But what's really interesting is he doesn't necessarily say who he is here. He says, I am not. They come to him and say, who are you? And he says, I am not. Have you ever thought about the things you are not? If, if, guessing, like me, you don't think often about who you are consciously, so I would assume that you actually maybe think more or less about who you are not. But maybe that's a way of actually gaining clarity for us to establish who we are so that we could actually have hope in our lives, even when things aren't going the way we planned or wanted or hoped for. And so he says, I am not. They come to him and he says, are you Elijah? Who was foretold by Malachi and they're, they're all hoping for this return. And, 
you can imagine he is, he's like a leader. Like he's making noise. People are repenting. He's baptizing people in water. Like he's doing these things that you would think that he is some prophetic person, some leader, maybe the hope for the world in this time. And he very clearly says, I'm not. You ever feel that temptation when like things are going well and someone might recognize you for something, but you know it like wasn't yours or maybe it's a little bit like stretching the truth and you're like, you just go along with it because it feels good? Just me again? Okay, cool. So like someone's saying something like, oh, I heard the story about you and you just kind of like let it go because you're like, well, I'm not like lying. I'm just not, I don't have to confess and you get stuck in this position. Could you imagine this like moment for John? They're coming to him, are you Elijah? Are you like one of the greatest figures that the people of God have ever known? And he clearly says, I'm not. And then he continues to go, are you a prophet? Are you, are you the one that, that Moses actually foretold? And again, he says, I'm not. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the one that we've been hoping for. Because if not, we have a serious problem here. If you're not actually the Messiah, then how are you like baptizing people and having them repent? And he says, I'm not. So I wonder this morning for you and I, what are you not? You think about all the things that you wrote on the card. What are you not? What are you not? What are you not? What are you not? I wonder how much your life is defined by your gender. I wonder how much of it's defined by maybe your socioeconomic class. I wonder how much of it is defined by the job that you have or you don't have or the one that you want. I wonder how much it's defined by your relationship, single, married, dating, engaged. I wonder how much it's defined by parenting. Maybe it's defined by gender, by sexuality, by certain lifestyles or preferences that you have. Is most of your life defined by those things? And as you think through that, I wonder which ones you could say, I'm not. John goes on. He replies in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in a wilderness. Make straight the ways for the Lord. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. See, I wonder if for John the Baptist that for him to be able to say, I am, he was very clear on the things that I am not. Are you clear on the things that you are not? And then what's really interesting is about all the things he said, I am not, I can imagine being very easy things to identify by, to have status, to have relationships, to know vocation, to know calling, finding significance in the things that he does or does not do. And he's able to do all those. But then the thing that he says is, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. I am, he answers in connection to something else. It actually isn't even about himself. How he defines himself is in connection to something else or to someone else. I'm the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the ways for the Lord. There's this famous painting uh, by a medieval painter. And what's really interesting about it is John the Baptist, just there to the right of Jesus. See his index finger? So if you like look through paintings of John the Baptist, many of them have this famous index finger. 
because he is a voice in the wilderness. And he is calling, he is, he is pointing to the one to come. See, John the Baptist's life, again, was not defined by who I am and the things that he was creating or what others wanted him to be. It was defined by I am not so that I am in connection to Jesus. And this is someone who was beheaded for his faith and his practice to press against the cultural norms, to press against the king at the time. This is someone who was willing to risk his own life to actually live for what he is not and what he is. This is someone that no matter how bad things were going around him, he seemed to have this faith that drove him, that compelled him, that helped him live into all that God was calling him to. So I wonder this morning, if you just sit for a moment and looking at this image of John the Baptist and all that was going on to be able to point to Jesus, the things that are written on your card, I don't think are outside of life with Jesus. I think the things that are written on your card are a big makeup of who you are. And what we can do with them is they can either be the thing that define us, or they can actually be the thing that help us determine who I am not so that I can actually point to the one that defines us. Does that make sense? So I can actually take all these things on this card, and Jesus is wanting us to to have them point to him, to be a voice in the wilderness. So what I want you to do for a moment is look back at your card. Pull it out. Read through it. And we're going to wind down after this. If not, I might start sweating through my shirt. But we're learning the air in here now that we're back to winter. Um, We are going to look at this card. I just want you to sit quietly for a couple of moments. And we just want to invite God's voice just to speak to you this morning. That's it. I have a quote I'm going to read after this, after one passage. But for all this, thinking about John the Baptist's life, what I would love for you to walk away with this morning is a little bit more clarity on who you aren't and whose you are. And so with that, looking at your card, I want you just to ask God simply, what is something on this list that I'm finding false hope in? And where are you asking me to find hope? What's something on this list that I actually need to pull away from a little bit? And then what do I need to press into? What's something on this list that I'm letting define me to a point where I'm losing hope because it's not going well? And in what way are you asking me to have my hope restored in you? So just a couple moments looking at that list.
And then it says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, John has identified himself in what he's not and who he is. And all he's lived for is to point to Jesus. And he finds his hope, even to press through persecution, even to press through all the ones who wanted him to define who he was, to live into the things that he could do or who he was in relationship with or him as a leader. And he lives solely to point to the one who's to come, to wash away the sins of the world. And so just this week, just this morning, as we head into this next week, how is your life pointing to Jesus? Thinking back to that list, what is the one or two areas that you might actually be pointing to Jesus well? That your work actually looks like you having a finger pointing to Jesus? That your marriage, that your relationship status, that the way you live with your neighbors, like there's something that you're standing there with a posture of pointing to Jesus. And then in what ways are you not? In what ways of who you are are not actually pointing to Jesus? Because I don't know about you, but the, the wavering of the days and the weeks and the months that I seem to find internally mostly, but also externally, my hope wavers depending on which way the wind could be blowing one day. But when we actually look to someone who says that he has come to take away the sins of the world, there's actually something that I can live for in connection with that is much greater than anything I could do on my own. That when I point to Jesus, it looks like this, what Walter Brueggemann says, that last quote, hope in gospel faith is not just a vague feeling that things will work out, for it is evident that things will not just work out. Rather, Hope is the conviction against a great deal of data that God is tenacious and persistent in overcoming the deadliness of the world. That God intends joy and peace. Christians find compelling evidence in the story of Jesus that Jesus, with great persistence and great vulnerability, everywhere he went, turned the enmity of society toward a new possibility, turned the sadness of the world to joy, introduced a new regime where the dead are raised, the lost are found, and the displaced are brought home again. That you and I, no matter what we're doing, no matter what we're connected to, no matter how we may view ourselves, that we could actually play as part of a larger story that is redeeming the world. That it's actually part of a larger story of Jesus wanting to enter into people's lives to restore dignity, to bring to wholeness, to ultimately draw into his life in the kingdom. That you and I can actually live in in shalom, that we could actually live with restored and reconciled relationships, that we can actually forgive and receive forgiveness, that we can be generous people in a world that tells you to consume more, that each part of my life does not have to be necessarily about me, but I can be pointing to something greater that other people can even start to find hope. Because hope isn't just for you. If you can imagine anyone that you've been around that is hopeful, they are contagious. You want to be around them more. They seem to be able to transcend the realities of their days and their weeks and their months, that they almost seem and feel above the things that are coming around them and holding them back. And so when you don't feel good about yourself and you don't feel good about the things you're doing, when you don't feel good about who you are, you can actually have hope in who Jesus is because he is consistent. He is never changing, yet he is always moving forward and inviting us into life with him that is restoring all of humanity. Your life is meant for so much more than just who you are. 
Maybe that's something to walk away with this morning. I actually hope that you feel like encouraged, being reminded that, man, even when my life feels like it's falling apart, even when things aren't going well, I'm still a part of a greater narrative that Jesus has invited me into, and it's, it's actually driven by his love for you. So it actually starts to redefine who you and I are, how we operate, and everything that we think that we are, who others are telling us to be. And I don't know about you, but I find hope in that. I find hope that the, you and I are sitting in this space actually believing that, committed to practicing it, and then trusting that it'll overflow out of us to actually change the ways in which we operate in the world and people actually view us. To then be like, wait, hold on, you guys, you're different. Why, how do you actually have hope right now in the midst of this? How do you have hope in the midst of suffering and loss and challenge? How do you have hope when the things aren't actually going the way? How do you continue to actually serve other people when, like, imagine that, like, a group of people just committed to pressing into this hope, not by who they are, but by whose they are. Jesus loves you so much, and the season of Advent is a prayer space for that, to receive his love for you and I in a new way, to actually stand on this, that we can have hope beyond our wildest dreams, or beyond the things that we can actually see. Life does not have to be determined by the day-to-day, but it's already been determined by what Jesus has already done and what he continues to do, and there's hope in that. That's good news. Can you and I live with hope? And it looks more and more like this, because I know without sitting at the dinner table, without being at the park, without being in the car, without being on the text threads and the phone calls, I can very quickly forget that I'm part of something larger. So I thank you for bringing me hope. May each of us be able to do that with each other. We can remind each other the hope that we can have in Jesus over and over and over again. And that is a beautiful thing that I want to be a part of.